Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with moving towards the promised land as we pick up in Numbers chapter 21, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Let's turn in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. Now the children of Israel have been in the wilderness for about 39 years and they are now beginning to make their move towards the promised land. We're coming down to the end of this long sojourn in the wilderness. Miriam is dead, Aaron is dead, And most of those who came out of Egypt who were 20 years old at the time they left Egypt are now dead. And as they are moving now towards the land, they have, you remember, circumvented Edom. Now they're coming up on the eastern side of the land itself, not coming directly through the southern part of the land of Israel up through Hebron and that area, but they're going clear around. In fact, they went around Edom and are circling in and coming in uh, above actually the area of Galilee, the Golan Heights area up in there. They made a big circle around and are going to come in to the land from the eastern part from about uh, the Dead Sea north approximately. In fact, when they make their first initial thrust into the land, it will be at Jericho, which is just north of the Dead Sea region. But they are, they've encircled Edom and now are coming towards the land and they are dealing then with the Moabites and the Amorites who lived up in that northern area. The southern part was Edom, north of Edom was Moab, North of Moab were the Amorites. And so they are circled clear around and coming in from another direction. It must have been quite a journey with that many people, well over a million and a half people. It surely was a, a, an interesting experience. And when King Arad, the Canaanite which dwell in the south, heard that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into our hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. So the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and they called the name of the place Hormah, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to compass or to circle the land of Edom, and the soul of the people were very discouraged because of the way. It was a hard route. It was a long way around rather than coming directly into the land, and it was discouraging for them because of that uh, long route encircling around Edom. So they were smitten by these Canaanites, and they said, God, you just help us, and we'll totally wipe them out, and God helped them, and they wiped them out. But now they made this big compass circling around Edom, not passing through Edom, coming up the the rift valley by the Dead Sea, but passing clear around that thing. 
Now the people spake against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now again they are complaining against God. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? We have no bread, we have no water, and we're sick of this manna, this light bread. Now, as we pointed out this morning, in every circumstance of life, there are things that you can complain about. I'm sure that if you, if you want to, you can find something to gripe about in any situation that you face. So also, in every situation that you face, you can find something to be thankful for. And there are people who in every situation are looking for that for which they can gripe. And there are those people that in every situation, they are looking for those things for which they can give thanks. In other words, there are people that are always looking on the good side, and there are people that are always looking on the drab side of life. People who are chronically complaining, people who are chronically giving thanks. It becomes a pattern of a person's life. Now, it is God's will that your pattern be that of thanksgiving. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. And God wants you to live a thankful life. God wants you to appreciate what he has done for you. Now, it is true that manna became no doubt a very monotonous thing. It wasn't very flavorful. It was sort of a mild, bland food, but yet it was extremely nutritious. All that they needed to sustain them was in it, as far as vitamins, minerals, and so forth. It was an excellent food. It was angel's food, according to Psalm, what is it, 72 or so. He fed them with angel's food. And yet, the people chose to complain instead of to give thanks. Oh, God, you're so good. You, you haven't failed. The manna is there every morning. Lord, You've supplied us all the way. You've sustained us, Lord. You've been so good to us. No, oh, this stuff, I'm sick of it. <laughs> man, a man, ah. and, and people are that way. And God, in judgment, because of their complaining, sent fiery serpents among them. They were also deadly, and as they would bite the people, the people would go into convulsions and die. And they realized that it was a judgment of God because of their complaining. They came to Moses and they said, We have sinned in that we have spoken against God and against you. There was a confession of their sin. That's always important. The Bible said, If you seek to cover your sin, you're not going to prosper. But whoso confesseth his sin shall be forgiven. You try to hide your guilt, you try to deny your guilt, God can't do anything for you. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now there are sometimes when people confess sins, but it isn't really a true confession of their heart. Pharaoh said, I've sinned against the Lord. But he went back and did the very same thing over again. 
Here the people said, we have sinned. They recognized that their complaining was a sin, that God's judgment had come upon them. Moses, pray for us. Ask God to help us. And so Moses prayed. And instead of God just ridding the snakes out of the camp, God said to Moses, now make a brass serpent. Put it on a pole and set it up in the middle of the camp. And it shall come to pass whenever a man is bitten by a snake as he is dying, if he will look at this brass snake on the pole, he'll be healed. So God let there be something that the people could do. In other words, you can live or die. It's your choice. Living is very simple. All you have to do is look at this snake, this brass serpent on this pole, and you'll be healed. You'll live. Dying is very simple, too. All you have to do is not look, and you're going to die. Someone said, what must I do to be lost? Nothing. <laughs> Just keep living like you are, doing the things you do, and you'll be lost. What must I do to be saved? All you have to do is look at Jesus Christ in faith, in trust, believing in Him. Salvation is very simple. And so Moses made this brass serpent, put it on the pole, and it came to pass that as the people were bitten by these snakes, if they would look upon this brass serpent, they would be healed, they would live. And thus, God gave an interesting foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ. The serpent is always a symbol for sin because Satan came in the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Brass is always a symbol of judgment. They confessed we have sinned. The brass serpent on the pole was a symbol that your sin has been judged. Now, if you'll just look at the brass serpent, the place where your sin was judged, you'll be healed. Later on in Hezekiah's day, the people had made this brass serpent. They kept it. It was an interesting artifact. And they had kept it as they journeyed into the land and as the judges and kings through all this period, they kept this brass serpent. And at the time that Hezekiah was king over Judah, the people were worshiping this brass serpent. They had made an idol out of it. They were coming and offering prayers before it, worshiping the brass serpent. What does it indicate when a person begins to worship an idol? Number one, it indicates that he has lost his consciousness of God's living presence. I'm no longer conscious that God is present with me. Thus, I am looking for something that will remind me of the presence of God. And so I get some kind of a little reminder, a memento, some kind of an image or whatever that can remind me of God's presence. But the fact that I need an object shows that I've lost the consciousness of the presence of God. 
Number two, it indicates that somehow deep inside, I am longing for that which I have lost. I'm longing for a meaningful relationship with God. I'm longing for a meaningful consciousness of God. And thus I am setting up reminders, things that can bring my attention and, and my mind to the fact of God's presence. Thus it is always a sign of spiritual deterioration or degradation. And at the time that Hezekiah became king, he took this brass serpent that Moses had made and he broke the thing in pieces because the people were bowing down, worshiping and praying before it and all. And he broke the thing in pieces and he said, Nehushtan, dummies. <laughs> it's not a god. It's a, the Nehushtan means a thing of brass. It's not a god. All it is is a piece of brass. You know, it's tragic when people begin to worship a building or begin to worship objects. We had a church one time in which we were remodeling the platform and we decided to remodel the pulpit. I was going to build a new pulpit. And this lady came up and said, Brother Smith, oh, you can't replace that pulpit. Oh, brother so-and-so made this, and oh, there have been so many anointed sermons. Oh, it would be terrible if you did anything to that pulpit. Oh, you know, and on and on. And oh, I knew that there's going to be a church split because we wanted to replace the pulpit. Churches split over the dumbest things because people are so dumb. <laughs> they get... They, <laughs> they get attached... <laughs> They get attached to things because they've lost the consciousness of God's vital presence in their life. And oh, I remember the sermon that was preached. Oh, it was so powerful. And the pastor held on to that pulpit and his, you know, his knuckles were white and the anointing of God was on him and all. Oh, don't get rid of the pulpit. Well, the pulpit was ugly. And we were modernizing the whole, well, it was the ugliest platform you ever saw. Just old-fashioned, ugly, broken-down chairs. And, and the whole thing was just ugly. So we wanted to modernize the whole thing, got some nice modern chairs. And so I built a new pulpit, but I built it right around the old one. <laughs> Used the old one as a base, and I just, you know, put new wood around it and modernize it and all, new design to it. And it was, you know, matched the rest of the platform then. And this woman came to church and just about had apoplexy when she saw the new pulpit. She came storming up to me, eyes flashing. She said, I told you that that pulpit couldn't go and started in. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come here, come here. I want to show you something. And I took her around and I showed her behind the pulpit. Here's the old ugly pulpit. Uh, you know, everything was there. It's still the same pulpit. I just built around it and it sufficed her. It was, oh, oh praise the Lord. We've still got our pulpit. You know. <laughs> Nehushtan, take an ax to it. It's just a thing of wood. There's nothing holy about it. It's just an old broken down piece of furniture. People get attached to the, oh, that's where I accepted Jesus. Oh, you can't do anything to that church, you know. 
It was interesting when we were in the little sanctuary a, a block away, and, and we had grown to the place where we were going to have to move. And so the only thing we could do is put up a big old circus tent, and so that's what we did, put up the circus tent out here. And people were going around saying, oh, I hope we don't lose this neat, warm feeling when we move into a tent. Oh, that tent, I don't know. I just hope we don't lose this beautiful, beautiful feeling that we have when we move into a tent. After two years in the tent and this church building here was completed, they're saying, oh, I hope we don't lose this beautiful, warm feeling in the tent when we move into a building. <laughs> As though it were a building or a tent. The beautiful, warm feeling comes from the love of Jesus Christ working in our hearts and in our lives. And we could be meeting out on the grass or down at the beach. Anywhere. And that neat, beautiful, warm feeling would be there because the beautiful, neat, warm feeling isn't in the building. It isn't in furniture. It's in the hearts of God's people. And it's sad when people lose that consciousness of God or begin to equate the presence of God to a place, to a building, to an artifact, to a piece of furniture, or to a brass serpent or something else. Hezekiah wisely broke that thing in pieces and said, Nehushtan, just a thing of brass. It's not a god. Now, if you go to the St. Ambrose Cathedral in Milan, Italy, you can see the glued-together pieces of brass and the people going up and offering their prayers and kissing the glass cover and so forth again because according to their story, someone picked up the pieces and now they've got it on display and are using it again. Nehushtan. But more important, in the New Testament, Jesus tells us the true significance for this brass serpent lifted on a pole. For when Nicodemus came to him at night and sought the way of salvation, Jesus said, Nicodemus, there's only one way, man. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus said, born again? What do you mean? I'm an old man. I can't go back to my mother's womb and be born a second time. What do you mean born again? Jesus said, Nicodemus, there are two births, one physical, one spiritual. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be uptight because I tell you, you got to be born again. But how can these things be? And Jesus, in answer to the question of how can a man be born again, how can these things be, answered Nicodemus and said, For as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's how a person is born again. By looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as he was lifted up on his cross, and see that there God has judged my sins. And Jesus bore the judgment of God for my sins. As the brass serpent was the symbol of sin being judged, it was looking forward to God judging man's sins upon the cross. 
And God laid upon him the iniquities of us all. And he bore the sins of the world. And there God judged the sins of the world on the cross of Jesus Christ. And now you who are dying because of this deadly affliction of sin, all you have to do to live is to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and see that God has judged your sin and believe in him. So the brass serpent on the pole in the wilderness was looking forward to the judgment of sin upon the cross when Jesus would be lifted up there upon the cross and bear once and for all God's judgment for man's iniquities. And so the children of Israel set forward and pitched at Obah. And then they were now starting this journey on around, and it tells the various places where they were camping. Verse 14, and it said, Wherefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting book. I've never read it. And I suppose it's been lost, and we probably won't find it. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Numbers on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Numbers 21 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you, and may the Lord strengthen you through this week, and may the Word be as a fire burning within your heart as God ministers to you His truth. And may your life be purged through the Word, cleansed. And may you walk with the Lord in beautiful fellowship. And may God grant to you opportunities of witnessing and serving Him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What are the gifts of the Spirit? And how should I respond? It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, 
the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deep and personal relationship with Him so that your life will be transformed. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.